Brownell on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It is my pleasure to welcome back for another visit the superintendent of the Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell. Good morning, Kent. Good morning. Great to be back. Thanks for well, having me. Well, it's wonderful. Uh, you've had a, a busy week or so last week with your presentation to the Rochester School Board concerning spending reductions for the following school year. Uh, I read the memo that you had sent to the members of the board and went, yikes, uh, the number grew significantly larger since the last uh, the last time we chatted or the last thing I had heard about this. Yeah, it did, but that was not because of unforeseen circumstances or any sort of mismanagement. We settled our uh, labor contracts with our hourly wage employees, um, uh, maintenance, uh, nutrition services, clerical, um, at significantly higher percentage increases. And I think they were entirely fair increases. Um, increasing uh, somebody who previously made $15 an hour by the, you know, uh, four or five percent uh, that has been historically, you know, possible for teachers contracts is maybe, you know, 30 cents. And so we settled those contracts higher. And in the m- most competitive labor market that exists in the country right now, even though I think that was the right thing to do, it was also the prudent thing to do. And it has made a difference in filling those positions. And so when I took that to the school board, I said, this is going to increase the deficit, but we will close the deficit with reductions. And so um it's a difficult decision, but I have no doubt that it's it's the right one for the long-term well-being of our students. All right, so maybe explain the process. You went to the school board last week and presented the numbers. What happens now? Um, and this is a process that we're using as part of a strategy to resolve what I've called a structural deficit. It's not necessarily the way three or four years from now we will continually do things because I do not believe Rochester Public Schools needs to be one of those school districts that is in continual financial freefall. Like this is a solvable problem and it's going to take a, a number of years of hard decisions. And so right now what we are doing is at the beginning of Uh, the budget process last year and then again this year, we are asking the board to lock in an expected uh, aggregate percentage of financial savings or budget cut. After that happens, and this year the board uh, vote will be February 7th, we then roll up our sleeves and work with every budget manager, you know, principals of our schools and, and coordinators and directors in our central office departments to specifically identify the exact reductions that will be made, which of course, in Rochester Public Schools, like every school district, is um, 85% uh, of the expenses go for people. And so these are tremendously difficult decisions to make because these are good people doing good work, but we need to, um, I guess for lack of a nicer term, right size the district in terms of staff tied to our enrollment. So after the board vote on February 7th, we will go into the very specific process of identifying those cuts. We have got a very good idea of what they are right now, but we always subject it to further scrutiny and we'll make whatever revisions need to be made uh, to be sure we're providing the services we wanna provide, need to provide to kids. And then in June, the school board will vote for a final version. Um, So what we're doing right now is we are getting the big picture strategy firmly um, locked in, and then we will get the details worked out over the next several months before the board votes in the summer. 
So the budget framework is what we're talking about yeah, right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in future years, I think you, we won't necessarily, I hope, need this because we'll have a budget process that is a, sta- a structurally balanced budget. And so the board will really vote one time in the summer um, and we won't need this sort of uh, a twofer strategy. But last year it proved very productive and I think it will again this year because it essentially gives the board an opportunity to direct us um, with the big picture, and then our job is to get the details right. And you mentioned structural balance, and you've you've discussed this before, but uh, maybe explain <laughs> what you exactly mean by that. I I know it, it's you're tying enrollment to staffing levels, but how off of balance are we? Yeah, all almost all of our money um, is tied to the number of students we serve. The exceptions to that are some facilities, revenue streams, and things. But the vast majority, whether it's coming from the state of Minnesota, which is mostly what we get, or some local levies or federal, is tied to the number of kids we serve. And so a school district has got to keep the growth of its expenses, which again are mostly staff, aligned with the growth uh, of its students or the number of its students. And so in Rochester, um, we have had over the last decade, 26.8% growth in the number of our staff positions or what we call full-time equivalents or FTEs. But we have had a cumulative growth in enrollment of 7.3%. And so you can see we've added staff faster than we've added students. And while that may be a very defensible strategy when it comes to hiring one teacher or one education support professional in the aggregate, you can't let those two lines get too far apart on a graph. Um, And so that's the structural deficit that we are working to resolve. In your memo, you discuss specific levels of potential cuts or layoffs. And I think the number was around 77 teachers. Is that something that is attainable through attrition or are we going to actually see actual layoffs if that is what is adopted? Well, we'll have to find out. Of course, we don't always know who's going to retire or resign at this point in the year. Um, I wish I could say it was going to be attainable entirely through attrition, you know, someone retiring or resigning. And so we don't need to cut the position. But at this level of reduction, I think it is unlikely. And so it's reductions in, as I said before, some really good people doing good work, but um, our our need is to uh, close that gap, which once again, because you know, part of my job is to give people hope, to not feel like this is gonna be uh, you know, cuts in perpetuity, to get the district to a place where we do have that kind of structural balance between our expenses and our revenues. Uh, and I do believe that's achievable. It, it also requires renewing an existing operating referendum that I'll be recommending to the school board. They request at minimum the citizens of Rochester uh, likely next fall maintain about $17 million that uh, was approved in 2015. If that didn't happen, we would have to make that cut. We may also put before the voters um, uh, somewhat of an increase in that local support to really tie to the strategic plan that we have underway and that I think has got a lot of um, generated a lot of excitement in our district and the community and I think is going to um, really contribute to improvements in educational outcomes. But those are some decisions that will be um, in the six, seven, eight months ahead. Um, right now, we are in the right sizing phase. That would be in the, the investment side phase. Okay. Which 
when you uh, look at these potential cuts in personnel, have you gauged what kind of impact that will have at the classroom level? Or, or are you, or is this? Because, um, and you know, we have a fantastic chief administrative officer, John Carlson, who in our school board meeting um, said something that is actually mathematically true. And I mean, I was a classroom teacher. So I also, a classroom teacher with, I remember my highest high school load was 189 students at one time, which is way above the 165 our contract, contract allows here in Rochester. So I have a sense of what it's what it is to have too many kids in your class. But John said, which is true that, the vast majority of our classes in reality are under the target that exists at the district level. But if your class is at that, exactly at that level, to hear that the majority is are under that doesn't do much for you. If you're the teacher that's right at that level. And so the, the increased class sizes that are in the proposal are actually quite marginal. It's one student in terms of that shift. But when you add that up in the aggregate, it's a, you know, it is an increase in the challenge that our teachers have to meet the needs of every kid. And so that was probably the number one, um, the number one component of the proposal that I uh, struggled with, but it's also where you get to the savings that you need, so. Yeah, as you mentioned, 85% yep. of the district's expenditures are salaries and the the teacher reductions that you're talking about cover pretty much a little bit over half of what you're proposing in reductions um for this next year yep yeah for the next year okay yep. wow that uh, makes your job a lot of fun. I'm being sarcastic. Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, and it goes with it and I um I I I could spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to understand exactly how Rochester got where we are. I have not done much of that because it's that's really not relevant right now. Um, we have amazing people in the system and we're getting organized around an academic agenda that I'm confident over time is gonna show results, but we gotta fix the finances and it is what it is. All right, we'll return with more Rochester Today with Superintendent Kent Pickell after this quick break on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Martin Hoke, the inventor of Navage Nasal Care and 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM with Rochester Today and Rochester Public Schools Superintendent Kent Pickell. Kent, enough of the budget stuff. Yay. <laughs> Actually, no. That's a big part of my job because you know you're. It's often said your you know your 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 budget expresses your values. So actually, it, it's really important. But I'd love to talk about something else too. Well, speaking of values, I know part of the strategic plan that was adopted by the school board has an emphasis on a term you call deep learning. Usually deeper learning. So. Okay, deeper learning. Mm-hmm. So it's comparative. Maybe let's, let's spend Shall a few minutes we? talking about what what do you mean what do you mean by deeper learning? Well, to try and start with the positive, think back to some project you did in school. Maybe it was you know dissecting a frog or uh, doing a report on a, a someone from history or building a, um, a playhouse in a shop class or whatever it was. And whatever that project was that really got you on fire, that was really engaged, you you, you actually looked forward to going to class. And I would guess that if we really sat down and 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 pulled apart what happened in that project, there would have been three things that were happening there. Um, the first 
would be mastery, the second would be identity, and the third would be creativity. And, um, and, and just to briefly touch on those, like the mastery is you, you learned knowledge and skills. You learned um, uh, new information and new skills that helped you achieve the goals of that learning experience. Um, the second with identity is it's somehow connected with both who you are today and who you might want to be in the future. That's like, oh, I could be a journalist, I could be a scientist, I could fix cars, I could just, or, gee, I, I wrote this essay and I wrote about my family and I came to understand, like, my, you know, grandparents and great-grandparents. So that's the identity piece. And then the creativity is you solved a problem or you made something that mattered to you. Um, you know, maybe it was not a real-world problem, but you were in a role play and you you figured out uh, how to solve the war that was going to happen when you were negotiating with the adversary or something like that. Um, or you, you wrote something or you created something, you did a presentation. So when we talk about deeper learning, we're talking about learning that is a combination of those three things. And what it's the opposite of is the kind of mile-wide, inch-deep learning that unfortunately has characterized a lot of American education in recent decades, where the recall of, of facts that the student may not even understand uh, particularly well in terms of the core concepts on a relatively inexpensive standardized test has been the big goal of school for a long time. And so deeper learning really tries to pivot from that approach to an approach that is really less is more, saying that we really need to understand the core concepts, the foundational skills, that kids need to connect with them personally, and that we wanna give them the chance to create around. And so that's what it is. There's a small but interesting research base behind it. um, And we're gonna be partnering with uh, a professor at Harvard uh, to be in a collaborative of uh, 10 other school districts in the United States and Canada that are all about our size in Rochester and that are going to roll up our sleeves over the next few years and try and bring that vision of deeper learning to life um, for all kids. Frankly, it's been happening in advanced classes and what we used to call, it's not my favorite term, gifted and talented programs. I like the programs, I don't like the term. Um, It's been happening for those kids for a long time, but kids kind of in our mainstream classes or kids who are in what, you know, used to be called kind of remedial programs or support programs, they didn't get that kind of learning and yet that's exactly what we know shoots student motivation through the roof and has big benefits for kids once they get out into the world of work. When you say less is more, is there any concern expressed about skipping over some of those general knowledge areas that everybody should have at least a little bit of background with? Um, it is so... I guess why I would, yeah. I'll point out one thing that came out in the news uh, last week, and it was astounding, um, and actually a bit frightening. Sixty-three percent of, and I want to say under the age of twenty-five, of citizens of the United States had no concept or knowledge of what the Holocaust was. That it, the genocide of the Jewish people in Europe took place. They were unaware of it. <laughs> and, and and you're right. It's it's one of those facts. But if you're not exposed to that fact, it's it's a piece of knowledge. I think is important to have. So let's actually. Uh, this is the opposite, and I understand 
it, this might sound kind of touchy-feely to people, like deeper learning. Oh my God, it is the opposite of dumbing down or or sort of um, lessening academic rigor. Um, okay. So to take your example of the Holocaust, just off the top of my head, um, deeper learning around the Holocaust, first of all, would absolutely identify the critical facts and concepts that a kid needed to understand. You know, why did that? horrific tragedy actually occur? What in German society led up to that? What did Hitler do to manipulate opinion? What were the key flashpoints when things go on? As opposed to, for instance, memorizing the um, names and dates of every battlefield in World War II, then the identity piece would be the kid connects to what happened in the Holocaust and uh, in a way that is um, that is but it's personal that they have a sense. And of course, for many students who've read Diary of Anne Frank, that just happens as soon as they read what happened to another adolescent. And then in terms of creativity, maybe they actually think, could it happen today? Or why do some people think it didn't happen today? So just your idea of the Holocaust could be an amazing opportunity for deeper learning. I'll just be a little bit self-critical. When I was a young teacher, um, Gosh, I guess 30 years ago, 25 years ago, when I started, I was teaching global studies, and which is like world history, world cultures. I made every kid memorize the capital of every country. And it was a big deal. It was like in Mr. Pakel's class. And like, and it was kind of fun because we like the kids and the kids who liked, you know, memorizing would get kind of into it. Can you do every capital in Africa? I think back to that now and I'm like, why the hell did I make everyone memorize the capital of every country? I mean, I think maybe I thought it was about memory development or something, but you know, I think there are other good things I did, but like, <laughs> I know there were, but you know, I would be very surprised if very many of my students are still, you know, able to remember those capitals. And so that would have been an example today where I would say through the lens of deeper learning, was that essential uh, sure. thing? And it was a big part of my class. You know, it, was, yeah. it wasn't the main thing, but it was a pretty big part. And I would never do it that way today. So the twisted around to the deeper learning strategy. You can tell me if I have this right or wrong, but you would have used that class time instead to understand perhaps why these names might have been attached to these capitals and what part of the history of Africa led to these names as they are today or the selection of these names or of these cities that are the capitals of Africa. The nations in Africa. Yeah, it all it all would require me first of all to say what was the core concept or knowledge I was trying to teach, um, which it's a lot. It's a long way after you know, but I guess I think what I'm as I think back on that, the core issue was that the kid, the students knew something fundamental about each country, um, and so I would have much rather actually focused on some you know key characteristic culturally, economically socially about each country than the name of the <laughs> for instance or maybe you know i taught the course regionally so we looked at like the world of um you know the, the confucius confucian inspired world of asia the you know tradition of you know european enlightenment and then the you know did it with africa so i taught it thematically but i made in the middle every kid memorize every capital and i was like what why huh, you know? i get it like why did so i do it so this is something that is going to take years and years and years and years to actually incorporate into every classroom. 
It is, except that I have not met a teacher here in Rochester who doesn't want their classes to be like that and isn't doing it in some ways right now. And so I think it is ultimately helping people really under understand it, aligning it with state standards, because we're not proposing that we throw out what we've said kids need to know and be able to do. We're, we're saying we want them to deeply learn it. Um, and so we are going to have to help teachers really identify those critical uh, that critical knowledge and foundational skills um, that's based on what we know kids really need to succeed in higher education in the workforce. So there's 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 helping helping teachers decide where to focus, and then helping them do it with all kids, because that's part of the thing. This is. You know, in some ways, deeper learning is all about equity, which is a term that gets used and it usually gets connected to sort of politically controversial issues. This is about every kid having those transformative, come alive learning experiences that some kids have all through their education. Um, so, yes, it is going to be longer term, but I don't think. I'm suggesting anything that would be shocking to any one of our great teachers in Rochester. It's the challenges in the how-to with all kids. We have taken another break already. We're chatting today with the superintendent of Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell, and we'll be back in a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Need to update your furniture. KROC AM and 96.9 FM with Superintendent Kent Pickell. (laughs) Kent... Uh, I've been meaning to ask you about this for a while. We only have a few minutes left in the program, so I'll throw it in now. It's convenient. There was a Time Magazine piece that you were mentioned in, or you're tied into dealing with a smartphone app. Yeah. Tell us the story. What's this all about? So the app is called Along, and it's an app to build teacher-student relationships. And um, it was created by a nonprofit called Gradient Learning, and um, I have no financial benefit from it whatsoever, um, but I did get someone ask me about that, in fact. Um, when I was president uh, of a research organization based here in Minnesota called Search Institute, which I was for 10 years, we did research on relationships between youth and adults. And we could show that if five things happen in that relationship, the student outcomes or the young person's outcomes are better academically, socially, emotionally, all these areas. And those five things are expressing care, challenging growth, providing support, sharing power, and expanding possibilities. And we could define all five of those things. And so we did this research and, you know, we published it in journals and we did kind of some, we did a lot of like workshops for teachers and parents and out of school time staff. But, you know, that's a slow way to use the research. And the people at Gradient Learning heard about our research and came to us and said, hey, we'd like to build an app that that helps teachers do that stuff using technology. And so the way it works is the teacher films a short video with a prompt, most of which you know we wrote that grew out of research, um, uh, and sends it out to their students. And then the students reply with a short video that comes back. And then there are classroom activities that can be used to reinforce the dialogue. And so it's something a teacher can very quickly do to connect individually with the kids, and then they can watch those things, you know, at home or whenever. And it would be things like, tell me what your spark is. What's a thing that uh, where your talent or interest that really lights you up and you lose track of time? So the teacher sends out, and then the kids send it back, and it can help a teacher quite quickly get to be connected with their students in a really powerful way. And so. 
Fast forward to when I come down here in Rochester, they called and said, hey, we built this app. Well, I knew they built the app because we had a we, we did the game, the research. Then we did a pilot of it last year with about 50 or 60 of our teachers here in Rochester. And we had very good percentages of students and teachers say that using the app had really helped them strengthen their connections and get to know each other. And then Time Magazine named it one of the 100 best inventions of last year. Um, and so, you know, it's out there, it's free. Anybody can go look at it, it's called Along. We still have some teachers who are, our pilot project is done. We still have some teachers who are using it here in Rochester and um, we may integrate it more into our work going forward. But once again, I don't have any stake in it, um, but it was exciting. <laughs> it was exciting to see sort of what somebody who, an organization that is tech savvy can do to take something to scale in a much faster way than you can do in kind of a person-to-person bricks-and-mortar world. Yeah, it's interesting. I and I, I get the concept. I, I understand how it could work by eliciting that response would be a key. Yeah, and the paradox actually is making relationships more efficient without sucking the authenticity of it. Because yeah. you go into a teacher and you say, hey, um, you know, Andy, I really think you need to build relationships with your students. They're like, no, really? I mean, everybody <laughs> knows that. The question is, how do you do that in a meaningful way? How do you do that across culture um, and get the teaching done? You know, because you got to cover that content. You got to do your deeper learning. And so the interesting thing about that app was a way to try and make it more efficient to have those connections with kids um, over time. Any you mentioned it might be further used in the district or you've drawn up plans to say, hey, everybody download the app. It's free. Let's go. Well, we might. We just received a $1.2 million grant from a foundation nationally to strengthen our work on deeper learning. And then we're going to use some other funds to supplement that with our. So every school in Rochester is going to have sort of two years of a mini grant to work on the deeper learning work. And one of the things, uh, as we've just begun the early conversations, because we just got the grant with schools about it, is a few of them have said, well, hey, what about that app, a long thing that we piloted with a few teachers last year? What if we did something with that? So we wouldn't mandate that, but that might be a tool that some of our folks would be interested in um, interested in utilizing. All right. Well, I'm interested in the following what happens with your deeper learning initiative? I, I, I'm genuinely interested in seeing how this takes shape and how it moves forward because um, I can see it being relatively easy with one group of students and really, really difficult with another group. And that's always the challenge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, I think that's where we're going to have to really, you framed it really, really well. Um, and let's keep coming back to it. But um when we talk with kids about what they want, and you know, we did a whole project last year called the Perspectives Project, where we talked deeply with our kids who are most struggling in Rochester Public Schools. Um, what they want academically aligns a lot with what we're talking about with deeper learning. Now, there are some issues that we have to address to bring this to life for all kids, but they were not saying, please make me memorize facts that I don't understand, <laughs> don't, don't connect to my life. Um, like that's not what they're asking for. No. <laughs> so, um, I think I think there's there's reason for optimism, but as you said earlier, this one's not going to be a, a quickie. Well, I'm glad you're up to the challenge. So I appreciate that, Ken. I appreciate the time you spent with us today as well. 
as always. So I look forward to our next opportunity to get together. Thank you. I do too. Thank you very much. And thanks to all the people who um, listen to you. And then I see them like around town and various things. And they, they often ask me to back up what I said. And that's a good, that's a good thing. So I appreciate that. All right. Superintendent Kent Pickell, it's Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Individual rates, coverage offerings and savings may vary. Subject to terms and conditions.